The Wiser Podcast. Conversations, public talks, and audio essays from the Witz Institute for Social and Economic Research. Hi, I'm Cizou Mbofu Walsh, and welcome to The Wiser Podcast. Today, we release part two of our series, Uprising in South Africa. Drawn and edited from an event hosted by Wiser and The Forge, on the crisis in KwaZulu-Natal, and convened by Shireen Hassim, the C-150 Chair in Gender and African Politics at Carleton University in Canada, and visiting professor at Wiser. The speakers in today's episode are Spuz Gode from Abasalibasem Jondolo, Kira Irwin from the Durban University of Technology, Monica Lagan-Prasad from New Frame, and Elisha Kunene from Richard Spoor Inc. Participants wrestle in what follows, with the forms of social breakdown informing the so-called insurrection or uprising or set of food riots or crisis that emerged recently in KwaZulu-Natal. They also explore the modes of leadership or lack of it, uses of law and lawlessness, and specific forms of violence that emerged in these events. They reflect on what it was like to be on the ground in Durban or Phoenix or Escort at the time, and the forms of politics needed to avert deeper crisis in the future. So I think it's important to say uh, in this conversation that uh, this is not over. Um, I think we should not think that this has come and passed. We continue to sit on the time bomb, as, as, as we've been warning, things could turn out to be more ugly than it is now, as we have witnessed, unless we think differently from the current thinking around this situation. So it is important, therefore, to say that um, have we not, as Abahlali, um, went so quickly to really focus our activism, asserting the love for we have for our country, the love we have for humanity, and taught our members of Bushani, the spirit of Ubuntu. Uh, this has been very important uh, to us more than the material conditions under which we live. And uh, before we can actually address the challenges of local governments, the uh, lack of service delivery, for, for instance, what we have focused on more than anything has been to build Ubuntu, the kind of a society that we want to um, see, and that needed to be reflected on our day-to-day struggles as Abashali. And when we were reflecting, uh, you know, um, as Abashali, a lot of our members were saying to us, we are grateful that we have become Abashali members. And those who are in leadership positions were actually saying, uh, this has really helped us, it has disciplined us. We were expected to maintain high level of discipline at the time where opportunism presented itself, because there's no doubt, no argument, no denial that people are hungry, angry, and frustrated because of the very violence they've been ruled with, they've been taught. And, and, and for us as a movement, it's really been so difficult to find the balance to teach high level of discipline on the one hand, to teach Ubuntu humanity, the love that we have for our country and you know, our fellow human beings to value life. 
the spirit of um, the values of, of Ubuntu and so on. Balance that kind um, of teaching uh, within our popular education, but also the level of violence that the state continue from time to time, uh, you know, engages with the people. I mean, people's homes have been vandalized as many 30, 40 times with impunity. Abakali have lost 18 activists. I mean, just last week, we've lost 19 um, activists who have been killed by the very uh, so-called land invasion unit um, because our cities are militarizing, uh, like the uh, city of Durban. So losing 18 activists, and it becomes business as usual. Mm. No anything, not the public, not the middle class. It's business as usual. Now, witnessing the reaction of people when property is under attack, then it leaves us with big questions. We could not lose as many as 18 activists and nobody says anything. And when the property is vandalized, bent down, and suddenly we must all jump. I, I think it is something seriously wrong with how we think. When we value the economy and, and, and do not condone the violence and the destruction of property, but for us, it's been very hurting to see how important the economy and the destruction of property compared to human life that we value so much. So I think we, we really need to think. Lives have been lost through shack fires. Kids have been beaten by rats. And the state has been violent to us. Nobody says anything. It's business as usual. Now, when people are hungry because of the high rate of unemployment, because of the inequality, because of the very deliberate uh, that we have seen the ruling party employing only those that are loyal to, uh, to, to, to the ruling uh, uh, party, because that's what we experience. We are not treated as South Africans. You must have the membership card of a ruling party you know, to feel that you are a South African, to be able to stand an opportunity to get a job, the EPWP, for instance, the Expanded Public Work Program. If you are not a member of the ruling party, you get nothing. I mean, absolutely, well, nothing. Maybe a word that really underscore what I mean to say. I, I'll leave the Africans with Getting fuck absolutely fuck as in nothing. So that state of hopelessness that has been created on people, even with young people, if you go to the informal settlements and you find young people that are hopeless, uh, they have no absolutely hope for a better future. Also those of us who are really also working in rural communities, I mean, people do not have water. Mm. What kind of local government do you make? I mean, in urban centers like in Eteguini, um, you, we have Inanda Dam, for instance, Hazelmere. But people along those big dams do not have water. Instead, you have big trucks that cost millions of friends monthly that you know, um, uh, uh, transport water to people. Yet we have a dam. What's the point of having Inanda Dam? You know, people in, along Zinyati, Inanda do not have water. But exactly. So those kinds of situations have really made uh, the situation to swell as, 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 as it is today. So the point that I want to make uh, in, in conclusion is that we need to rethink politics and leadership. There was a vacant moment in terms of leadership. We've never seen any government uh, minister or a politician providing clean and clear leadership in, in, in this time. So, um, and we, we had no choice, you know, as Abakhali, as 
is undermined as we are, but we really had to uh, take a stand and, 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 you know, give our analysis of the situation and say to people, um, uh, which is what I want to say now, is that we have we all have a role to play, um, whether a civil society organization, grassroots formations, and all the democratic uh, formation in, in this country and the public at large. I think it is high time that we come together. It is high time that we take responsibility for being silenced uh, for too long. I think we have not done enough in terms of making sure that the government remains the government of the people and for the people. And the government is accountable to the people and is not accountable to the individual that happens to be sitting at the city hall because mm. we've taken the seat back and we vote people into power, but we are unable to hold those people accountable. Only the individuals, uh, the mayor, they are accountable above. And I'm saying it's high time that we rebuild an inclusive economy, a voice from below, uh, which will then hold any government that may come in accountable. So the situation that we have seen that has presented itself, I think we all have to do all our best to make sure that such situation never returns. But as long as we leave the country on the very few elites, politicians that are corrupt, um, who tells us, by the way, on our face, that when they occupy the legislature and the city council, they are there to eat for us and they eat on our behalf. And this is what they do. It still feels pretty raw, I must be honest. Um, and you said, you know, you, you're excited to have people who are thinking about it. I, I'm afraid I'm not sure if I am. I feel like I'm feeling about it rather than thinking about it. And so um, I might be quite incoherent. I feel incoherent myself, and it feels incoherent in our city at the moment. So uh, I agree pretty much with everything that's been said. Um, and it's humbling. I, I do agree with you to a certain extent about the democratic project, but I can tell you that it, it feels more dangerous than that. It feels closer to the edge, honestly. Um, and, and I think, Ryan, what I appreciated about your video is of course these are very, these are sort of old narratives and scripts that work particularly repetitively in KZN. Uh, and we should really be alert to them more than we have been. They, they play into our political social world. But um, when I watched it, I thought what it's sort of making me think about, and it's a question that really I think a lot of us here are asking ourselves, it's not just about the machinations of the state. It's about what's happening inside all of us. In some ways, we are very much a part of enabling this type of behavior um, from various types of authorities, you know, and from various types of elites, to be honest. So even if we think about, um, you know, Mrs. Gumedi, our ex-mayor, this, this type of patronage, it's, it's not a simple story. Uh, the inequality and the perpetual sort of exclusion and oppression that happens, it very much enables this to become a type of uh, political building of a power base. So, you know, as a politician, as someone who wants to, to sort of build herself or himself in a career within the party, I've started to see that corruption is more than that because you can move resources to certain groups, but you do it very strategically and you do it in a sort of geographic power base so that 
when you are even sort of called out, you, you have a large group who will stand up and fight for you because actually their reality might have been changed for the better slightly. Mm. So these are very complicated power plays, to be honest, the sort of politics um, that, that we need to think carefully about and, and why I want to bring it back to all of us. In other words, what's happening with us is that these are savvy ways in which we can be manipulated. These old scripts of belonging, these old scripts around race, these old scripts around how we view people we see as poor, around who has agency. Um, the, these are ways in which this particular political economic manipulation pulls at our hearts and our soul strings. Mm. So these are questions we have to take too. How are we complicit? How, how have we been too understanding, too tolerant, I think Glenn said too, when people are using these particular uh, fractures uh, to really make us, um, and I mean all of us, right? This is what it felt like. This was our city. It was our homes. It was our families. It was our friends. It was our blood on the street, and it was our blood on our hands. So, yes, the state, but this is something, I think, um, far more complex about our relationship to power structures and our, definitely our relationships to a sort of legacy of scripts of belonging and what we really want to do with this now going forward. Um, Monica, we tend to talk about the poor as if they are an undifferentiated group, uh, an agency-free and undifferentiated group um, that will always act virtuously. I, I, I found your article uh, for New Frame really um, one of the, well, the only one I've, I've read, which tried to get into uh, a working class, into working class neighborhoods and to try and understand um, these tensions at, at, the, at the bottom uh, of the equality uh, pile and, and how people are having to survive uh, and what the attendant fears and suspicions and anxieties are. I wondered if you could speak a little bit to that. Um, thank you, Shireen. Um, good evening, everybody. Um, I wish I had whiskey instead of tea in my cup as well. So next time I'll <laughs> remember that that's, um, that's something you can do. Um, so I just want to say I agree with um, Kira in that you know, I also have family from Durban. I'm also from Durban. And so I was having exactly the same kind of thoughts and fears. Um, and it's very difficult to take your emotions out of it, specifically if you're from that place and you have family there. Um, it's incredibly difficult. Um, you know, when the story started coming about the murders that were happening um, in Phoenix and people were quite stressed out about it bubbling over um, and the tensions that it was erupting over, um, you know, it becoming a racial thing. Um, and when you started to explore that, it became much more complex. And of course, it's very central that racism is there and was definitely part of the driving motivation behind a lot of the people that were attacked. Um, we've seen witness statements, um, which are quite horrific in a way which unarmed people were not allowed through those, some of those barricades. And it was, it was interesting because 
you reach one barricade and then you allow through. And then those people were like, no, cool, you can go through. And then you get to the next barricade and people were like pulling people out of cars, um, beating them unprovoked. Um, and it shows you that on one hand, there were people that were, you know, organized because they wanted to protect what they had. But there were other people who were organized and used that opportunity just to meet out violence um, and unprovoked. So there was those things that were happening. Um, Along those lines, there were, you know, obviously that. And then in a place like Phoenix, which is also subdivided into class itself, you know, you have it broken up into areas where you have a more sort of elite society where they have middle-class homes, which were built. And then you have a different side of the community that were given council homes and council flats and had built on that. Um, and then you have people from much, you know, sort of like much more, um, working class, people that were, grew up and came from factories and those families. Um, so it was a mixture of people and amongst them, you had very violent people, their gangsters would live there. They had people who, uh, there's a very um, successful drug trade. In fact, you know, several people that I spoke to said to me, there's a drug dealer on every street. There's a drug dealer in every neighborhood. Um, and if you look at the amount of guns that came out of there, it's quite frightening. There were over a hundred illegal weapons, um, a hundred, and even more, a hundred weapons that came out of the private security companies. Mm. Um, you know, when you have all of those issues, you have the gangsters, you have the racism, you have the illegal weapons, you have people who are scared, and you mix that in with fake news and a lack of policing. Um, this is where we end up. We end up with this terrible situation where 36 people have been murdered. Um, there's no other way to describe it. It's just murder. Um, and what I'm struggling to understand is, for myself, is how, how we reach this level of such violence in this society and in these, in these townships where... I'm assuming these, some of them were ordinary people who were going to work, who now have turned into killers and meted out the kind of violence, which is just horrific. Um, if you read the witness um, statements that are coming, that have been reported in various media of how people were just stabbed and shot in the face, what kind of person does that? And it's just unimaginable to think that you would be driven to such a point to do that kind of violence, which shows that in a place like Phoenix, that policing has been absent for so long. It's been, and in places like Inanda as well, it's been under-resourced, there's no policing, people don't trust the police. The police themselves was telling people, saying to people, get your guns and protect yourselves, bring out your illegal firearms and protect yourselves. And some of the people we spoke to said, well, well the police are saying that to you, what are you supposed to do? There were also, you know, a large part of this that has been unexplored is the fake videos that were um, that were being flooded through social media. The one that I think that, and this is just my opinion, I could be wrong about this, that kind of brought about the narrative where people were like, oh, we were protecting our home, so what else could we do? It was a video that had come out of a house that seemingly looked like people were jumping over the fence and trying to break into. There's no proof and there's been no sense of investigation of whether that video 
uh, is accurate and true. I couldn't find that house. People I spoke to don't know where that house is. But that video was so widely spread. I mean, I received it from relatives myself that people were like, oh, look, people are coming to break into houses. And that is what sparked fear to people to say, well, I need to protect my homes. But I couldn't find a single home that had been um, come under attack. There were a few broken windows here and there, but there wasn't any homes that had come directly under attack. Um, so a lot of that had kind of built a foundation um, for this kind of fear to spread. Um, in addition to that, you know, we're seeing that, you know, all along, and this is something interesting that I kind of picked up. If you look at all the places that had been the hardest hit, it's all these former working class townships from the North Coast to the South Coast. They have been the worst affected. Mm. And, you know, the strange thing is that if you look in Phoenix, Inanda had also been robbed of everything. Those people didn't have any warning or time to protect anything. So their shops, um, the places they could go to were completely decimated. So now they were forced to actually go to Phoenix to kind, you know, get their shopping down there, go to the hospitals there. And this is where these people were kind of met with violence and restricted. Um, in addition to that, the people from Phoenix now that were trying to get out of there and go to other shops into sort of the more affluent neighborhoods, which is in Mslanga, um, were completely barred. So it just became this, you know, level of classism, this level of racism, this level of violence um, that was just meted out during a time when there was fake news being um, circulated. Um, so it was very scary. Um, and it became the perfect kind of Petri dish for yeah. just the most horrific things to happen. Well, it loops back to Spoo's point, right? That it's about pro protecting property, not people. Uh, that and and the and and it loops me nicely to Elisha, actually, because the stare, the police, um, you know, re virtuously presenting themselves in order to recover these goods and then destroy that food, you know, like uh, that uh, doing all of that in the name of law and order. Uh, in the name of a kind of, you know, rule of law um, is just the most bizarre use of law uh, that you, you can imagine. It's the real Alice in Wonderland world that has developed around it. And it sort of loops me to Elisha because you're obviously trying to use law in a very different way. Um, and one of the um, features, I suppose, one of the maybe the two legs uh, that uh, of uh, that democracy is standing on that to me uh, opened with is perhaps the leg of uh, of our constitution and the law, but it is also uh, problematic when that is what a democracy relies on. And I, I wonder, Elijah, if you want to say a few words here about your work in this regard and and those limits that you've hit up against. I'm from a. Uh, the town called Escort, um, and we have seen war. Um, a lot of the, so some of uh, Ryan's uh, work talks about what it means to call people warlords, and I realized that because South Africa has been so committed to this narrative that we had a miraculous, peaceful transition, people don't know and, and discuss what it means to live in a war zone where houses and property have been petrol bombed, destroyed, and people have been turned into 
uh, refugees and you have the almost complete uh, privatization um, of law and order. I think the fact that South Africa has more private security than police and military put together is something which has been true um, for at least about a decade or so. Uh, so the, this creation of enclaves and this retreat of civil society is not something that's new. What does it mean to, um, to see war? What does it mean when it's said that Jacob Zuma is a war hero because he helped quell um, what was already um, an ongoing, very cynical, very destruction cycle of violence, um, uh, which had been ongoing in KZN for a very long time. Um, and I think conversations like this are, are, are helpful to the extent that they highlight that this is part of an ongoing machinery, um, uh, not just a moment, not just an explosion, be it uh, spontaneous or not. Um, on the law, I think um, I, I thought three things were particularly interesting. Uh, the, the, the first being that uh, there aren't actually very many, you know, genuine or interesting legal questions about what is and is not uh, legal, what is and is not illegal, because it is about uh, blunt power. When um, if the city of Itaguini hires a mercenary gang who have been well documented uh, to be breaking all sorts of crimes, it won't matter what the legal questions are by the time it gets to court uh, um, in the first place. But also, as the debate was happening about Jacob Zuma, none of the legal questions were raised in good faith. None of them are particularly difficult, and none of them are particularly um, interesting. But importantly, also people don't know um, uh, what the questions even are. Um, the phone calls I've received overwhelmingly over recent weeks are why is Jacob Zuma going to jail? What is contempt of court? Um, and when people are protesting, what are they hoping will be achieved? Uh, are they hoping that the courts will overturn it? Uh, is there a case there? Or are they hoping that he'll be pardoned by the president? The president doesn't mention um, that question for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and yeah. That doesn't matter because it's not actually a legal debate. It's not a legal question. Uh, it is about power and it is about uh, politics. Um, and the problem, though, is that uh, so, so South Africa has um, two does have the, a, a problem and an obsession with judicialization. Um, of things which the law um, could 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 never um, uh, fix, and I think uh, this plays itself in two sorts of ways. Uh, one is just this narrative, uh, this obsession with the idea that we're going to catch the bad guys, uh, that who 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 are the instigators, um, and is it possible that if we can catch X, Y, and Z person and we can punish them? then we will have fixed uh, all of um, those, those problems. Um, but the same thing um, which happens where, again, I think conversations like this are very useful at giving like real explanations that the law cannot, is that um, you have a lot of trying to fit things into the language of the criminal code. 
for example, and uh, uh, Brian wrote very insightfully about how this obsession with this idea of instigation um, is so unhelpful. Part of the problem is also just sort of like, what exactly would a crime of instigation look like? Um, because if, for example, I supported Jacob Zuma, or I was just an opportunist um, uh, of a looter, if I was as Begitele uh, painted this like dichotomy with that you have some people who are knowing conspirators, and you have some people who are just leaves in the winds of change, uh, for example. Um, it's, it's, it's a very big spectrum, uh, but I think there's absolutely no clarity about what it would even mean to say that someone is a collaborator or that someone is guilty and that if we can try and get them into, into jail, that will begin to solve our problems. Um, um, organizations like Abashali Basam Jondolo and only um, political activists and uh, communities which can begin to move us forward uh, and uh, South Africa's problems of, of trying to judicialize um, of trying to legalize uh, what is political uh, only moves us uh, backwards. Mm -hmm.